Welcome back to another episode of the My Latin Life podcast. Since 2014, My Latin Life has been your trusted guide to traveling and living in Latin America. Today, I'm joined by a special guest. His name is Craig the Travel Junkie. He's the host of his own podcast, The Layover Podcast, and he travels all over from Latin America to Africa and does a lot of cool stuff. So we connected on Twitter and I invited him on and Craig, thanks for being here, man. Hey, thanks a lot, Vance. I appreciate you you getting me on, man. Like I said, I follow your stuff on Twitter, man. I think it's pretty cool. So, you know, I'm just excited about the opportunity to sit down and talk to you and chat with you, man. You know, I can talk travel all day long, so. <laughs> I you have, you have a good voice and you got that kind of Chicago vibe. I think you're from Chicago, so I feel like you can talk about anything all day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much, man. <laughs> And you just, uh, I know that you just uh, landed in Atlanta, right? You just had a flight. Where did you fly in from? So I was in Columbia last week, well, early last week, and then I left Columbia and went to D.C. So I literally mm-hmm. just flew in to Atlanta from D.C., and I'll be here just uh, maybe till like Sunday, and then I'm headed back out again. I got like some domestic stuff that I'm doing. I got to go back to D.C., then I'm doing Florida, then I'm doing Dallas, and then I'm going back over to Costa Rica, and then from Costa Rica going back down to Cartagena, you know, Colombia. So, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. just trying to, you know, Spend as much time as I can, man, while it's winter in like, uh, you know, warm places, you know? I agree with that. That's definitely one of my uh, life philosophies as well is avoiding winter. Yep. So, um, and we'll, we'll definitely talk about uh, Cartagena and we'll, we'll definitely talk about some of your favorite spots in Latin America. But I thought it'd be useful uh, to give a little background on yourself, um, I guess, kind of, you know, where you came from and uh, what your what projects and stuff you're working on today. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So I'm originally from Chicago, Illinois. So I still split time between Chicago and Atlanta. So I have a house in Atlanta, apartment in Chicago. Uh, and I've been splitting time between those two cities for probably about the last three years. Uh, I also keep a place in Costa Rica as well, too, in the Heredia area, like right outside the San Jose airport. So probably like seven, mm-hmm. maybe 10 minutes away from San Jose airport um, for obvious reasons. One, because of the people, you know, because of the weather, the food, all that good stuff. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I've been traveling ever since I was a kid. You know, my mom and dad took me on my first flight. Like if you see my bio, they took me on my first plane ride back when I was probably like eight or nine and went to Disneyland and California. And I've been hooked flying ever since, man. So to date, I've been to 64 countries. Uh, countless cities. I got a lot more to go, a lot more I want to do. And uh, that's pretty much me. And then, you know, I, I took that love of traveling and turned it into a business. So I do my blogging, podcasting, as well as travel consulting, as well as I do group trips as well, too. So, yeah, I just took that love of travel and just kind of parlayed it into quite a few other things. Yeah, that's awesome. I um, I think you've been to more countries than I have. I almost don't know what direction to go first because I want to ask you about a lot of that stuff about, you know, monetizing as a travel blogger. I want to ask you about the group trips. I want to ask you about uh, travel consultancy. So actually, I kind of want to start there. What does travel consultancy look like? You help other people um, book trips or? Yeah. Or- yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. So like, for example, say if you come to me and say, hey, Craig, you know, I want to take a trip with my husband or wife or the fellas or whatever, and we don't know where we want to go. Well, that's where the consultancy comes in. So I just sit down, you know, schedule a session, 
and sit down with you, which would be you as the lead traveler and just say, okay, Vance, tell me what you guys like. Do you like beaches? Do you like mountains? Do you like shark diving? Do you like cave diving? Do you like mm-hmm. hiking? Do you just want to sit on the beach and drink drinks, you know, sip drinks, whatever you want to do. And then as we're having that conversation, I'm pulling information out of you. I'm kind of going through my mind. Okay. Where's the best place to send these guys? Where's the best place to send these people? You know, and then from there, I continue to just kind of consult with you. Okay, well, based on what you told me, I think these are probably three good destinations that you'll like. Within these three good three destinations, here are some in very high level. Here are some of the, like the rules of the government or the rules of the mm-hmm. country over there. You know, to determine whether or not you like it. For example, you know, if if I get somebody and they want to go on a trip and they just want to sip drinks and all of that, well, I probably wouldn't send you to the Maldives because, as you know, it's a Muslim country and so they don't have a lot of alcohol. So, you know, I probably wouldn't send you there. I'd send you somewhere else, you know. So I take a lot of that into account. So that's what the consultancy piece looks like. Okay. And it, it, I, I ask because it's something that I think about uh, potentially offering as a service as well. Because, mm-hmm. you know, my Latin life, we're really known for our city guides and our articles sort of explaining, kind of breaking down like the differences between places or what neighborhood to stay in various cities, things like that. So people are literally constantly asking me where to stay, what's a good like off the beaten path city, things like that. And I've definitely thought about offering a service, but it have to be worth my time. What is like the business model for a travel consultancy look like? Are you, how much are you charging? What's the model? And then like, are you actually booking the Airbnbs and stuff where you're just sort of providing recommendations? Yeah. So it just depends. Like, for example, you know, the prices range. So like if I get someone, let's say they're fresh out of college and they want to go on like a college trip or something like that. Well, I'm not going to charge them too much because, hey, they're struggling college students. I get it. You know, but if somebody comes to me from a Fortune 500 company, they say, hey, I got 30 people. We want to go X, Y, Z. Then the fee may be a little different for them. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously a little higher. Um, So it, it pays itself, you know, and and a lot of times what I do is I just bake my charges into what I put together for them. So if they come to me and I consult with them and they say, okay, yeah, I want to do this. Can you take care of this for me? I absolutely can. You know, then I'll put together the whole package for them, soup to nuts. Even down to having car service or whatever, coming to your house, picking you up, taking you Mm -hmm. to the airport. I take care of the airlines, cruise lines, whatever you need, and as well as lodging on the ground, hotels, Airbnbs, all of that good stuff. And then I just charge a fee. Okay. Okay. So, uh, you, you kind of like put it together as a package and sell like a package deal. And then, you know, the, the client ultimately might not know like what kind of margin, uh, you're making because they're not like seeing everything. Yeah. 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 And and I'll show them everything high level in terms of what services we're going to use in terms of hotel resort, you know, yeah. uh, supplier for things that to do on the ground and all that. So they'll get all of that. But then again, like I said, I just, you know, charge a fee on top of it. So. Yeah, it makes sense. And do you like, because it takes a lot of time to put together like a plan for someone, look things up, all that. Do you, do they have to put like a little bit of a deposit down beforehand? What if they don't like the plan? No, I, I used to think about putting a deposit down, Vance, but, you know, I, I love doing this so much. So I don't have to really think about taking a deposit from someone because if you use me to book with me, like I said, I'll get it back once I just put my margin in there. And 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 it's worked pretty well for me, you know. So, um, you know, like I said, it just works, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's interesting because I like it's <laughs> I literally consider myself like one of the best in the world at booking Airbnbs and knowing like logistically like where to stay. Yeah. Uh, for example, the past couple of months I've been staying with some buddies and whenever I get tired of planning every little thing, I'm like, you know what? You just plan it. Just like send me some Airbnb links. And then I look at what they send me and I'm like, no, this is like not within walking distance of the beach. This is not within X walking distance of the club. Like right. you're, you, you're, you know, all these different things. And so, um, yeah, so I've always considered uh, potentially offering a service like that. You know, it's funny you say that because one of the biggest things I always get from people is, hey, I want to go somewhere and I want to just be immersed or submerged in the culture. I want to be around the people, right? And they'll say all of these good things. And then they'll say, but can you put, but can you book me a hotel in the city center? I'm like, well, you do know the locals don't hang out in the city center. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, and that's one of the biggest things that I always get. And I think that's pretty funny when people say that. I want to hang out with the locals, but I want to be in the city center too. You know, so you can't have it both ways. You want to be with the locals or you want to be in the city center with the tourists, you know. Well, it, it comes down to knowing the city as well because there are cities where the city center is full of life. And yeah. there are city centers where uh, it's super dangerous or just or just completely dead. Like, yeah, yeah I guess that too. Yeah. <laughs> um, Interesting. And then how would you like acquire those customers or, or where do people come to you to book the, the consultancy stuff? Yeah. So a lot of times it's just word of mouth. So I've been doing this uh, probably uh, since like a little, well, let's say 2015, but 2017 mm -hmm. is when I actually turned it into a business, you know? Uh, so I've been doing it that long. And so a lot of my customers are word of mouth, repeat customers. You know, I, I you mm -hmm. know, I've built a niche in terms of, one of the things that helps me out, Vance, is because I've been to a lot of countries, so I can kind of, you know, personalize something real well for someone. So if someone says, hey, I want to go to Paris, oh, I can take care of that for you. As a matter of fact, what do you want to do? Okay, it's best if you stay here and then you can go see this, you can go see that, you know, and because I've been so many places so many times, I can even break it all the way down to you like street sign. Like, hey, you're going to look for this green sign and when you get the green sign, turn right. And then it's going to be a red, broke down car over there at that car. Look to the left. And there's the lodge, you know, all this stuff. And people love that personalization. So, you know, how I get, like I said, to answer your question, a lot of my clients, I just word of mouth and just repeat business. So. That's awesome. That's definitely the best way to do it. Because when and when I look at like uh, your presence and like your link tree, there's no link to like sign up for the consultancy stuff. So it must yep. be very word of mouth based. Yep, it is. It is. Now, that's one of the things that I'm working on now. Like I have a company redoing my entire website right now as we speak. And mm -hmm. one of the things that they're going to put on there is like, um, you know, when you click on the website, you can sign up to the email list. And so, of course, once you sign up to the email list, then we'll, we have a newsletter now and we'll start sending out our newsletter as well, too. And in that newsletter, it will have like solicitations about hey, we offer this particular service, i.e. consultancy. So if there's somewhere you want to go and you're having trouble, you know, give us a call, hit us up, and we'll sit down with you and we'll work that out for you. So, Awesome. And uh, Craig, I promise that we'll move on and, and get to some other topics. Maybe people find this interesting, but because I definitely have another question or two about this because oh. I am really considering this. So let's just say someone um, DMs me on Twitter and they're like, hey, you know, I want to go to like the center of Mexico, some off off the beaten path cities in the center of Mexico, maybe post up for a month, be a digital nomad, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, okay, I can do like a concierge type package for you. I can put it together, Airbnb, blah, blah, blah. 
are you, do I have to like present them the whole package and, um, or like, like, do I have to pre and present them sort of like the final cost and then they sort of yay or nay it? Or do I like, how, or like, how would you really, how would you do it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, one of the first things I do just so, you know, I don't spin my wheels is I ask the people up front, what's your per person budget? You know, because mm -hmm. that kind of helps right there. So when we first mm -hmm. start talking, you tell me high level, oh, I think I want to do this. Okay, fine. How much do you think you want to spend per person? You know, then they'll say, oh, I want to spend $2,000 or 2500 Okay, fine. Now I know what I can work with. And then from there, I go and find, you know, what they ask for. If you want three-star, if you want four-star. If you want to sit on the beach or if you want to go to horseback riding or if you want to go cave diving or you want to go shark diving or if you want to go to see the black, you know, Madonna in, in, in Spain or if you want to go to a winery. And then I take all of that and put it together under that budget that they gave me. Right. And then, so let's say for those events, like it's cave diving or whatever it is, um, do you just kind of give them the recommendation in like the days that they're open and that kind of thing? Or do you like full out, like buy the tickets for them or how? Yeah, no, like, I take care of all of that. Yep. Because generally if I'm going to suggest something for you, I've built a lot of relationships over, over time too, with a lot of people on the ground, suppliers and all of that. So if you call and say, Hey Craig, I want to go to Kenya. I want to go to the Maasai Mara and I want to do a uh, safari. Perfect. Yep. I got a guy over in Kenya. I can call, hey, Wayne, you know, with his company. Hey, Wayne, listen, I got 10 people want to come over there. I need a rate for 10 people, X, Y, Z, these amount of days and bam. And then I'll get a rate and then I'll take that, package it up with what, like I said, the customer asked for and then give it back to them. So. Okay. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. And we'll, we'll change topics, I promise. But yeah, that's <laughs> interesting. It's kind of like a full concierge service. I was almost thinking of offering it like, like um, where... I would just have like really transparent margin and mm -hmm. be like, Hey man, like I'll do all, I'll like book it all. And then I don't even know. I don't even know. Um, it's something I think about. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, interesting. Um, cool, man. And then let's, let's talk a bit about group trips then. It's kind of a decent segue. So sure. you say that you do a lot of group trips and I guess when I hear group trip, that sounds like a lot of people. That sounds like minimum, like six people. And for context, that's kind of a little bit of a different form of travel that when I do, uh, than what I do, I, I almost feel like I'm mostly doing sort of lone wolf travel or doing what I want to do. And it's not really about like the group and there's definitely uh, pros and cons to both for the past two months. I've been traveling with a couple buddies, kind of like a cycle, but kind of it's uh, been a couple buddies the past two months. And so I've been getting used to sort of like small group travel and it's totally different than like lone wolf travel because I feel like I have to organize everything for a group. Now I have to, you know, tell them to leave the apartment when I'm trying to record a podcast. Right, right. Um, <laughs> I have, you know, a couple dudes that keep trying to like hit on my girls and stuff like that. And I'm just like, yo, <laughs> can you like, go, can you like go like talk to someone else? Like, right, right. Like, um, you know, shit like that. So, but, and then it sounds like what you're doing is like a more jovial, like big group type stuff or like, tell me a little bit about how you do group travel. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I saw, I do it all. And you're right. Groups could be anywhere from six up to, so the biggest group I've ever done and hosted was like a group of 75 people. Uh, and, um, I thought it was amazing. We went to South Africa about three, four years ago now. Uh, and we had an amazing time. I literally just got back from my last group trip, which was February around Valentine. 
we went down to uh, Cartagena, as a matter of fact, Colombia. So I took a group. Mm-hmm. It was 36 of us. And so we went down <laughs> to, yeah, went down to Colombia and we had an amazing time. Um, I have my next group trip coming up. It's 34 of us and we're going to Kenya and Zanzibar. And that is in June. But I love doing the group trips, too, man, because, like I said, you know, one, because I have this love of travel. I love to introduce travel to other people as well, too. And I love to introduce it to them through my eyes. So a lot of times when we do our group trips, you know, I always throw stuff in there that people never thought about doing. You know, like, for example, um, mm-hmm. you know, like shark diving. You know, nobody thinks about going shark diving. You know what I mean? But, you know, when you throw that on an itinerary, people are scared of it. But when they go and they see it and experience it, they realize, oh, it wasn't that bad. You know, I remember one year, uh, probably about six years ago now, we went to uh, Petra. We went to Jordan. And I put an, uh, a bet wine camp on the itinerary. You know, that's where you go and, like, you stand out in the desert out by the mountains, you know, with the guys that be out there herding the goats and all of that stuff like that. And so and so you're sleeping in tents and all of that. And prior to going, everybody talked about it like, oh, I don't know about this. I don't know. And then when they got there in advance and they had the most amazing time, that was like the highlight of the trip. You know, everybody loved it. You know, so I love doing group travels for a couple of reasons. That's one. One of the other reasons is is whenever I come across a novice traveler and just to hear them on the trip when they talk about where we are. Like we went down to Cartagena in February. I had a young lady. She had never been on, you know, out of the country. So this was her first international trip, right? And we were standing on the beach one day and she said, you know, Craig, I I gotta really thank you for this because uh, like I've never traveled and I had all this anxiety and, and, and everything. And now it's like, I'm standing here and it's like, I'm just here, you know? And I just never knew it was this easy and this fun. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. You know, so those are some of the reasons why I love doing group travels for responses like that from people uh, and then, like I said, just giving people an opportunity to see the world. Man. That's awesome. And so are these um, like like we're I, I actually back when I was in university, I used to schedule like group trips for the university and we'd go to Punta Cana or, uh, you know, places like that in the Caribbean. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'd kind of get my trip paid for if I, you know, signed up a whole bunch of people type yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, where, where do you like these big groups? Like where, uh, how do they all know each other? How do they come together? So believe it or not, man, um, uh, my best friend and I started a, um, started a, our, our Facebook page years ago. Right. And we started our Facebook page and just from people joining the group and the group mm-hmm. actually growing and getting bigger. That's just how like we've just been able to get like all of our followers to go on trips and customers to go on trips as well, too. And that's just you know how it works. So like you'll go on the trip vans, you'll have a great time. Then you'll come home, you'll tell your friends. Next thing you know, one of your friends is going on a trip. Next thing you know, a cousin of one of your friends is going and then it just grows and grows. So it's a bit people who don't know each other just kind of from a Facebook community. Yep. Yep. From a Facebook community. And then and you say we have 30 spots left. We have XYZ spots left, like sign yeah. up soon, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. yeah, we packaged it all together, put it out there, put the whole link to our trip. And when you go to mm-hmm. our trip pages, you know, it'll just lay it out for you in terms of like 
what's the highlights, how many nights, the hotel we're staying at, all of the activities, everything, the price, single occupancy, double occupancy. And even throughout the years, Vance, on our group trips, we've had people that have just formed like lifelong friendships. Like I've had people that went on a trip, didn't even know each other, and they just happened to be rooming together. And now they've been on two or three other trips with us and they're like almost best friends, you know, so. I believe it. I believe it. Travel definitely brings people together. And I've made a lot of friends just uh, in hotel lobbies and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And so what would the, these, I, and by the way, I'm, I also have been thinking, I really want to start spinning up some Facebook groups. Um, I've been really working hard in Q1 and kind of getting the socials going again for my Latin life. Yeah. And um, I know, you know, all the, I feel like, the expat groups and stuff like that on Facebook are some of the most popular and vibrant groups and places where there's actually a lot of like really good local knowledge and hidden knowledge and people are exchanging a lot of really, really good info. So let's just say, you know, you wanted to sort of live full time in Cartagena or spend a month there. You just type on Facebook, Cartagena for expats. Cartagena for digital nomads, yeah. things like that. Travel Cartagena. And you join in all these groups and then you'd be able to check like an enormous backlog of posts. You could just search, see like what's the best area to stay in, you know, what are the best bars, things like that, activities. It's a, really a wealth of information. And um, a lot of people are also pretty good at, at monetizing off these groups as well. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's one of the things we do, like I said. So that's what we did. We started the group. And we grew it up to like just under 6,000 people. Uh, and then I'm also a moderator in another group called Road to 100 Countries. That group has about 25,000 people in it. So I post trips in both groups, my group, the Travel Junkie, as well as Road to 100 Countries. And so, like I said, from both of those, that's just how we get a lot of our people to go on the trips and stuff like that. Okay, awesome. I, I And we can put the, the links to the groups in the show notes. Um, I definitely did want to ask you about Road to 100 Countries. Your main group or the like the one that you spun up, is it called the Travel Junkie or what's it called? Yeah, yeah. The main group is called, that I spun up is called the Travel Junkies. And then the Road to 100 Countries, that's a group that's actually managed, well, owned and managed by a guy by the name of Ronnie Dunstan. So, you know, Ronnie and I are friends. And uh, so Ronnie tapped me one day and was like, hey, Craig, you know, I'm actually thinking about quitting like social media and this whole group stuff altogether. And if I do that, I'm thinking about, you know, just, you know, sending all my people over to you to the travel junkie. Then we kind of had some good conversations and, and talked about it. Then he was like, well, how about this? I'll just keep the group and then, you know, just give you like more admin, right. You know, for you to do whatever you need to in the group. You know, so that's how that came about me being a moderator over in the Road to 100 Countries group. That's awesome. Yeah, um, yeah I thought I'd mention I uh, still unreleased interview. It probably will be the one that comes out before yours. But I just uh, this past week interviewed Rick Gazarian, um, who is the, the founder of Counting Countries. Okay. Um, which is I, I don't know if you've heard of him or of Counting Countries. It's a podcast and community. Yeah, no, I haven't heard of him, but I'll check him out, though. And it's it's almost more like they're like, uh, what's the word? Uh, competitive travelers. And they <laughs> seek to not only go to 100 countries, but to go to every country in the world. 
and they have different sort of metrics. There's different sort of communities that have different metrics. There's 193 UN countries. Um, There's a group called the TCC, I forget what it stands for. And, you know, they mark out like 336 unique regions of the world. Uh, There's another one called Nomad Mania. And they have like 1,200 or 1,900 like specific subregions of the world. And so there are people that have been to not only 193 countries. I think there's maybe 500 or 1,000 that have been to all of them. And then there's also people that have been to all these like subregions. And they're sort of like competing or at least tracking in a in a fun way like who's like the most traveled person in the world and they sort of rank it and and so i think it's really cool and i think i i mean not that you know that's a reasonable like goal or something everyone can do but it's sort of like intellectually interesting and um even like road to 100 countries is is intellectually interesting as well because um there's a lot of growth that's going to happen to you if if you pursue that absolutely absolutely And, and like for for me like I say, even though it's road to 100 countries, you know, people are exceeding that as well. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm just at 64, you know, because I do a lot of repeats. Like, for example, I've been to France. I've been to Paris literally six times. So if I didn't do Paris six times and, and did something else, I could be there. You know, I've been to Spain six times. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been to Cartagena four times. I've been to Costa Rica four times, you know. But I, I do that because I just love those places, so I love going back. But if I took mm-hmm. all of that energy and stopped doing repeats, I'd probably be at 100 by now, you know, so. For sure. What's the uh, country other than the States where you spent the most amount of time? Uh, I would probably say Costa Rica and Spain. Uh, mm-hmm. I probably spent collectively uh, months over in each location, you know. Um, now the, the country that I, I love to like, just kind of set up shop and move to is probably Costa Rica, you know, one, because, um, I mean, the weather just all year round, obviously, um, you know, the dollar is pretty strong. The USD is pretty strong there. Um, the food is amazing, you know, cause it's, it's fresh. And one thing I love about Costa Rica and I tell people Costa Rica has no army, you know, they have no military. And one thing that says is. We don't bother anybody and nobody bothers us. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I love that about Costa Rica. Yeah. Definitely. I haven't been to Costa Rica in a while. I personally prefer Panama. I got the Panama shirt on. Yeah, yeah. Do you, find, uh, do you find uh, uh, Costa Rica expensive these days or cheaper than the States at least? Yeah, it's way cheaper than the States. Uh, so it's not expensive at all, man. Like you can go down there and get like a two-bedroom, two-bath apartment. 600 bucks a month, you know, and sometimes less, you know, so, so it's not expensive at all. That's not bad. And I feel like the thing about Costa Rica is there's not a lot of clear choices of where to go. I mean, to some extent there is, but it's actually quite dispersed in terms of like the different towns. So there's Yaco or Haco, Jaco, whatever. There's Tamarindo, there's Puerto Viejo. Um, There's a million little spots. I used to go to Playa del Coco. Um, like what, what do you think are some of the best beach towns in Costa Rica? Uh, so I like Capos. Capos is, uh, very, very beachy. Uh, and, and it's nice. I like Uvita. Uvita has some good beaches as well, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one thing I like about Uvita, and this is a little known fact that a lot of people probably don't know about Costa Rica. You know, you got the Caribbean side, the Pacific side, right? So you yeah. got the beaches on both sides, but 
Uvita and like the Pacific side, that's the only side where you have the mountain and the water running together. So you have mountains that come all the way right to the beach, you know, and that's yeah, like the one, that. the, yeah, one little known fact about, you know, the, the Pacific side. Uh, on the Caribbean side, I love it over there. Like maybe like Guanacosta is cool, but I like the, the jungle. I'm not really too much of a beach guy, but I do beaches because obviously group trips, a lot of people want to do beaches, stuff like that. But like if I had my say to live in like um, Costa Rica, it'll probably be like a little small town called La Bolsa. It's on the Caribbean side. Uh, it's prob- it's it's between San Jose and La Fortuna. So it's probably like an hour and a half from San Jose by car uh, or La Fortuna RNL. You know, I love that area as well, too. So if I had to just put up a route in Costa Rica, it would probably be the Caribbean side, La Fortuna RNL. Okay, La Fortuna. And yep. then what's the uh, the other one you said? La Mosa, La Bolsa? Oh, it's, it's called La Bolsa. It's L-A. La Bolsa. Yeah, B-A-L-S-A. Yeah. B-A-L-S-A. Yeah, La Balsa. Yeah, La Balsa. Okay, cool. All right, so you're more of a jungle guy. Yeah, how, yeah I love it. <laughs> I like it too. Um, how in? But sorry, I did want to ask. So, for maybe people that are unfamiliar with Costa Rica, how would you sort of describe the Caribbean side versus the Pacific side in terms of the vibe? Well, I mean, you know, so the Pacific side, you're going to get, in my opinion. Well, you you can get both water and jungle on both, but the Pacific side, I would think you're going to get more beach, you know, because like I said, like you mentioned, you got Hako, you know, and Hako is pretty big. It's all beachy. And then past Hako, if you're riding, uh, I think South, you know, you're going to run into Capos right behind that. And then right after you pass through Capos, then you're going to go through Costa Verde, which is like mountainous, but some beach Mm -hmm. down. And then you're going to hit Uvita. You know, and then you can keep riding out all the way out to the very end where, where you meet Panama right at like, like Pasa Canoas and all of that stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that's the vibe on the Pacific side is more beach, I would think. Whereas when you go to the Caribbean side, if you're not right there like at Guanacosta because you're flying into Liberia, you're going to be more so like in the jungle, you know, the forest, you know, Monteverde, the cloud forest and you know, all that stuff like that. So I think those are the two different vibes. The Pacific side, you'll get more beach. Caribbean side, you'll get more jungle, you know, so. Okay. And uh, by the way, on My Latin Life, we talk a lot about, you know, uh, second residencies, citizenships, passports, things like that. Um, have you looked into getting residency in Costa Rica? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So it's uh, it's like three main ways, really four, but the three main ways for Costa Rica are um, – Purchase property, $200,000 or more. And so if you purchase property, $200,000 or more, you get immediate residency. Or if you have a pension. So like if you can show where you have like a pension coming in, like let's say if you work for a police department and you retire from the police department or you retire from Sears or or Mm AT&T or whatever, or you retire from the military, you know, then you can get immediate um, as well. Or if you can just sit $65,000 in the bank for like three months, then you can get residency after that as well, too. And uh, those are like the three main ways. The fourth one, I mean, it's simple. If you find somebody and marry somebody, you can get residency that way. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, and I, I, I've, I've been thinking about it uh, with the Costa Rica. I was holding off because um, they were they were changing the laws around taxation uh, yeah. around the end of 2021. Um, you know, they they were thinking about switching back away from a territorial tax system model to like a residency taxation model. And that really scared all the expats uh, who are already in Costa Rica. And they said, oh, no, I don't want to you know, be taxed on my Canadian American ass- assets and incomes and things like that. And um, I guess the pushback was significant enough. I haven't done like all, all the research, but from what I've heard, Costa Rica has sort of done the double take and they decided to basically continue with the tor- territorial tax system. Um, I don't know how much you know about that, but that seems to be the case. And so I'm once again considering doing the Costa Rica thing. Um, and I think I'd probably do the, the the bank deposit one. I'm actually a big fan of residency by bank deposit because it's just yeah. so much easier. Yeah. Um, do you do you know anything about? Do, do you remember that sort of tax scare or? Um, so I don't remember that, you know, because when I met with my lawyer down there, we didn't talk about the taxes and all of that. We just really basically went over all of the things that you need to do to get the residency. And the one that appealed to me was the the same one you were talking about, just the you know just having money sitting in the bank, you know, because mm-hmm. that was the the easiest to do. I've also looked at property to purchase there as well too, but the easier for me was just sit the money in the bank. You know, for sure. And yeah, I heard it. I heard it was sixty k. And the sort of reasoning behind that is because it's supposed to be sort of like two years worth of means. So it sort of works out that you know you'd have maybe fifteen hundred US uh, to use as like living expenses. Yeah. Um, I haven't looked at this again um, super recently. I do want to put together some info, but um, do you have to like take the money out like bit by bit or? And then, like, how do you even get it down there? No, you don't have to take it out bit by bit at all. And the way that when I was talking to the attorney, the way she explained it to me is you can even have it just sitting in an American account as long as you can verify like bank statements and send it to them. You know, them meaning your attorney and all of that stuff. No way. Yeah. Or you can just sit it in a Costa Rican bank, either one. And I was like, wow, that's like super easy to do, you know? No way. You can have it just sit in the States and just yep. have it be like a, you know, like a notarized. Yep. yep. I asked her that specifically because I was like, do I have to bring it down? And she was like, no. She was like, no, you can keep it up there as long as you can produce a bank statement to show that it's there. I was like, that's easy to do. Oh, my God. That's a game changer. Yeah. If you don't mind me asking then, like, what else did you kind of learn from speaking with lawyers in Costa Rica? Uh, obviously, this is kind of like, you know, you spent time in a bunch of Latin American countries and we can talk about some of that stuff as well. But Costa Rica sounds like you're actually kind of making a base. You mentioned that you're uh, that you got like a bit of an apartment set up and stuff. What else have you learned about uh, the process of moving to Costa Rica and from speaking to lawyers and all that? Well, one of the things that helps facilitate that process, too, is like, let's say if you come down and you do a business. Right. And one of the businesses that are pretty big, like in Costa Rica, for like expats is language. So, like, let's say if you came down there and you wanted to get into teaching English, like for me, I was born in the States. So English is my first language. So if I go to Costa Rica, it, it, you know, to help facilitate my move. It would behoove me to start a business, an English speaking business. And all I'm doing is just teaching English, you know, and that helps as well, too. So that's one of the things that the attorney said. Yeah, if you have a business 
and you can make sure it's geared toward Costa Rica, such as English. That helps. One other thing she said, too, I remember her saying is like, if you have a business, you have to employ a certain mm-hmm. amount of Costa Rican citizens as well, too. So like you can't just take your business down there and you have all your family members working for you. You have to ha- employ them as well, too. And that's one of the ways that they keep pumping money into their economy as well. Definitely. Yeah, I think the bank deposit one's good. I, I'm I'm literally going to look into uh, uh, this uh, thing about just having the money stay in the States because that's actually yeah. amazing. I I have this dream because I, I have residency in Panama. Um, showing my, <laughs> anyone who's just wow. watching the audio, I'm like flexing my Panama jersey right now. Right. <laughs> but um, but I thought it'd be pretty funny to be able to, to be a resident in Costa Rica and Panama because then uh, I like Bocas del Toro in Panama. And yeah. you could just kind of like cruise back and forth between Puerto Viejo and Bocas del Toro, super easy. And um, Boquete, which is one of the nicer areas of Panama, is like right near the border too. And, you know, maybe some things are cheaper in Panama, some things are cheaper in Costa Rica, whatever, friends on both sides. And it'd be cool to just be able to flow between the two. Yeah, yeah, that would be dope. That would be dope. I have this rent. And you know what's funny is like all the Central American countries are actually like pretty easy to get residency in. They all have a pensionado visa, which is the the, the pension-based one you, you referred to. They all have a couple ones. And it'd be sort of funny if you got residency in like every Central American country. And so you could just do a straight shot to the States. Like you'd just be like good in the hood in every single one. <laughs> Literally, that would be fun. Yeah. That'd be funny. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> I noticed, speaking of the rest of Central America, uh, basically your most popular YouTube video is the chicken bus in Guatemala. What can you tell us about the chicken bus? Oh, I thought that was fun. man. I, uh, you know, every time I go somewhere, I love to do what they do. You know, when in Rome, do like the Romans. And, um, it, you know, it was interesting when I went, obviously, because it was during the pandemic. And, you know, the chicken bus basically is a school bus. You know, we've all, if you've been in the States, everybody's been on a school bus at some point in time in their life, right? So I thought it was pretty interesting because they actually get the school buses from the States, have them shipped over to Guatemala, and then they kind of cut them up and customize them. And then all of the names on the side of the bus are the names of the family. So it'll be like the Martinez family or the Rodriguez family, you know, stuff like that. And then when you get on the bus, it's pretty standard, just like a school bus. They, they kept the same school bus seating. But but when I went during the pandemic, I thought it was very interesting because they had like the stickers on the seat like, OK, you can sit here, but nobody can sit here. You can sit here. Nobody can sit here. So they were still recognizing like the whole social distancing and all of that stuff. And then they put the plastic up around the driver and all of that stuff just to make sure, you know, and I thought that was pretty cool. And, and then the thing with the chicken buses that I like is um. So their system is, you know, you have a driver and then you have a person that hangs out on the door. And so the person that hangs out on the door is the person that looks ahead to see if somebody's flagging them down to get on the bus. You know, like we have bus stops and they just have the street. So the person will stand at the corner and just wave. And then the guy on the door just tell the driver to stop and then he'll get out. He'll take the person's money and then they get on. And so that's their system. You know, whereas like in the States, it's all mechanical. You get on the bus. You stick your card in the bus or or your coins or your dollars and goes in. Well, they have an actual person that's standing there just hanging out the door, grabbing your stuff. You know? So I thought that was a cool experience. Man. And where was that bus uh, to and from? 
So we went from central uh, Antigua. So they have a bus terminal, just like, you know, like in the States, you have a Grand Central Station, all that. They had a bus terminal called like the Central Station in Antigua. So we caught the bus from Antigua out to this city called Hocotenango. And uh, we went out to Hocotenango to a cooking class. And so we went, we got off the bus, then we crossed the street, went into this young lady's house. She took us upstairs and we did like a whole cooking class in her neighborhood and all of that. And it was pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah, does does uh, Guatemala in particular, I think even more so than other Latin countries, has a big bus culture. Yeah. Huge. Because I have... I have a buddy um, that I went to college with, and he he actually started like a bus company in Guatemala. And what they do is they did bus shuttles between uh, Guatemala City and Antigua, yeah. and also some beach town on the coast. But what what they did differently or really cool is it was a school bus basically, but it was completely gutted and retrofitted to be like super high end and baller, and to be like. Um, like, like so baller, you don't even know you're on a school bus and it'd wow. be like, nice. um, I, I don't even know how to explain, but you know, it'd be like, it'd be like leather couches and like, maybe there's like a TV with the Xbox and nice. um, I don't even know, like, like a wraparound couch, like not even like seats almost. It was like a whole, and it was like a whole experience. And, um, uh, I just remember him sharing like stories on Instagram of him, like building the bus and then, uh, you know, the whole process and then actually like getting it going and. It's like, you know, currently it's been up and running for a couple of years now. Oh, that um, sounds but it, cool. And sort of gave me a window into the world of how uh, Guatemala has like a really big bus culture. Yeah. Yeah, they love buses down there. I mean, because like I said, that's their mode of transport. I mean, you know, because um, even when I was there, you know, you could see it how like Guatemala City, a lot of people, it's just like any other major city. You know, like let's say you're in Chicago. Well, you got Chicago, the city, and a lot of people work downtown. But then they live out south, north, whatever, in the birds. So it's the same thing. You know, and the buses in Guatemala City, they have like their own central station there, too, where you walk up and it's like a whole row of those school buses all decked out and tricked out and all of that. And then they have like the location where they're going, Antigua or Hocotenango or, um, you know, a couple of other cities and stuff like that. And then you just pay your fare and you get on. And the bus ride may be about 45 minutes from Guatemala City all the way out to like those suburb cities like Antigua and Hocatanango and stuff like that. But yeah, that, that's how they do it, man. That's their big, that's how they get around, you know, unless you got a car, you know, but mm -hmm. more people, I guess, you know, are on, you know, buses and the bikes and all that versus the cars. So. Yeah. And so what, uh, what do you think have been your favorite cities in Latin America to visit? Oh, what are your top uh, cities? I like Quito, Ecuador. Uh, I love Banos as well, too. Banos, Ecuador. Oh, man. I, that's, that's one of the most beautiful cities to me. Like, like, so, you know, Banos sits right down at the base of a volcano. And when I tell you they have, that city is so colorful. Even the sidewalks, like they have like different colors on each block in the sidewalk. I mean, that, that city is amazing. It's, it's so colorful. So I like Bangos. I like Quito. You know, obviously I like, uh, you know, uh, like some cities in, in Costa Rica as well, too. 
I really love uh, Cartagena. I mean, I've, I've developed a special love for Cartagena in Colombia. It's just uh, a very nice city to me. I like that. Um, you know, and then, of course, you know, like if you go further south, you know, the Argentinas, the Brazils. I love Buenos Aires. Um, I think it's I think it's amazing to I think everybody should go to Buenos Aires one time in life and go see some real life tango. You know what I mean? Mm. You know, um, that was amazing. And then Rio, of course. You know, I think Rio is a beautiful city as well, too. Um, so, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, some beautiful cities in Central and South America. So, You've had a – and I, I listened to a little bit of the Layover podcast, and I noticed you had some guests that um, spent a lot of time in Rio and Brazil. So you, you spent some time down there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I've been down to Rio about four times. Um, one time in particular I can remember was a carnival. Man. I've done the real carnival, you know, pre-COVID. Ah, oh, man, that was probably like one of the best experiences of my life, man. Just the, and like we actually bought tickets and went to the Samba Drone. We were sitting right there on the front row. I mean, thousands and thousands of people in the stands and just to see how they do it. And and literally, man, like the, like the second night we went to the Samba Drone, it, it rained. So they postponed it. So let's say it was supposed to start at seven o'clock, but it, it was a real bad thunderstorm. So they didn't get anything started until like nine o'clock. Man, we were out there and the sun was coming up. Like literally, we're in the stands partying <laughs> and we having to look up and the sun was coming up. I'm like, I haven't done this since high school, college. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah, Brazil was fun. Man. That's awesome. Um, and I know uh, Carnival in, in Barranquilla uh, was just like last week or something. Did yeah, you catch a bit yeah. of that? I missed that. So I was just – and when I was down there, I was talking to my guy, Alex Rocha. He lives in uh, in Cartagena. He was saying how it was – we just missed it. And, and had I known, I would have booked the flight a different time. But I just had so much other stuff going on. I didn't know. So. Yeah, and the, so – and I, I, I don't – I was, it caught me off guard because I was at the carnival in Mazatlan uh, just a couple of weeks ago, which is the biggest carnival in Mexico. And so in my head, I was kind of assuming that um, all the carnivals would kind of be happening at, at the exact same time. But the Colombian carnival was slightly later. Is there a carnival in Cartagena and Barranquilla or is it more primarily Barranquilla? Yeah, more in Barranquilla. So when I was talking to Alex, he said more in Barranquilla. That's the biggest one. That's the one that everybody knows, Barranquilla. So. Okay. And, you know, uh, speaking about Colombia, um, obviously Colombia is a very diverse country. It's got a lot of different cities that people can choose from. I know a lot of people that came away with a bad impression of Cartagena. I've heard that the uh, like the street vendors are pretty aggressive with the tourists and stuff like that. Um, like, wh- you know, what, <laughs> what do you like about Cartagena? Do you think it's a good city for digital nomads to potentially post up? Do you think it's more of like a one week destination or potentially like a one month or longer destination? So, you know, just to touch on like the street vendors. And it's funny you say that because I had one of the young ladies when we came back from our trip in February and I was posting pictures of one of the women in the group. She didn't go on the trip, but she just commented that she had been to Cartagena before. And she Mm -hmm. said the same thing. Oh, the street vendors, they just would not leave us alone. It made me sick. I would never go back to Cartagena. And I found that strange because. I've never had a problem with the street vendors in Cartagena. You know, sure, somebody will come up and ask for something. I'll just tell them no gracias and just keep it moving, you know. And they don't follow me or bother me or anything like that, you know. 
So I, I found it strange when she said that. Now, I'm not doubting that it happened, and I'm not doubting that it does happen. It's mm-hmm. just never happened to me, so that's why I just found it kind of strange. Um, but you know, to answer the other part about, you know, how long you should stay, I think it just depends. I mean, I can set up shop in Cartagena for a month, you know, because that's just how much I loved it. I mean, the food is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very walkable, and that's what I love about it, too. So you don't have to have a car, you know, if you stay in certain areas, like if you go in like a um, Boca Grande area, no car needed. If you stay like in Carrera, you know, you don't need a car. I mean, so I love it for like some of those reasons. Or if you stay in Getsemane, you know, you don't need a car. So that's one of the one main things I love about uh, Cartagena. You don't need a car. You can just walk everywhere. You know, and then if you get tired of walking, you know, just jump in a cab, you know, because everything's cheap down there, you know, so. Mm-hmm. And I, I've had a lot of guys on this podcast. Uh, I've had a couple of guys uh, who are based up in Medellin, obviously a big digital nomad spot. But today, Craig, you're our, our Cartagena expert. And so if you were to post up in Cartagena, let's say for a month, uh-huh. um, would you be posting up? I'm looking at a map now. Would you be posted up like basically on that peninsula thing um, on Boca Grande or in Getsemani, Getsemani? Yeah. And that sort of area where it's all kind of like more or less part of the peninsula, yeah. or would you be somewhere sort of uh, off the peninsula towards the town? Or I know that there's like more beaches sort of for, further, like near to the airport. Or yeah. what would you recommend to someone who doesn't need like a lot of luxury, but you know they want sort of that balance of like you know they're willing to spend like a little bit but they don't want to be too baller but they still want to be kind of like close to bars and stuff like that and the yeah. beach i would recommend the neighborhood carrera you know because that neighborhood it's it so the peninsula that you're talking about that's boca grande all right but so l- let's just say you got the wall city right here and boca grande is out here carrera is mm-hmm. on this side of the wall city so literally it's about 10 minutes from the airport uh, mm-hmm. And it's right there on the beach. And then because it's right by the walls, Wall City, mm-hmm. you got that. You got your neighborhood, Carrera, which is a nice, vibrant neighborhood mix of locals and some expats because it's like a lot of high rise buildings. But stuff is yep. mad cheap over there. Right. But then you can walk right into the wall and you got everything you need right there in the wall. Shop stores, all of that stuff. And, and every, you got all that outside of the wall, too. So I would recommend if you want to go and stay a good long while and like. Mm-hmm. You know, you can like, let's say, you know, you stay a long while. So if there are days you want to come out and go to the beach right across the street, Carrera. If there are days where you just want to stay up in the house and not do anything, Carrera. You know, so I would recommend like that <laughs> Carrera. Area, you know, so. Okay. And is that, it looks like Carrera, I, it didn't really come up, but there's El Cabrero, which is sort of, uh, I guess, sort of the start when you get off the peninsula. And then past that, you're sort of like, there's like a river that sort of cuts right beyond, behind the beach. Would you stay between the beach and the river or would you stay sort of on uh, or where exactly? Well, so, you know, for me, I'm not really a beach dude. So uh, but I know a lot of people are, you know, so Uh for me, I would probably do like that, that Cabrera neighborhood. Uh, Another neighborhood that's good for a lot of people that, you know, you know, El Centro. So you can stay in El Centro. You know, it's not bad. Um, San Diego is not a bad neighborhood either. As well. I, I've heard a lot of good things about Getsemani. Um, yeah, Getsemani is cool. So Getsemani like a- used to be a terrible neighborhood. But <laughs> just like in the States, 
gentrification, mm-hmm. you know, so they've cleaned up, get some money, you know, and so now it's like a cool, happening, vibey area, you know, so a lot of bars, uh, it's a lot of small Airbnbs up in there. And don't be confused too. Over around, get some money, like right inside the wall. It's some million dollar properties in there too. Like you, you're walking down those streets and you look at them. They don't look like a million dollars, but they're a million dollar property. And when you go inside, people have like just completely fixed them up, granite, high ceilings, you know, nice kitchens and all of that stuff like that. So yeah, yep. yeah. So it's pretty cool over there too. Okay, awesome, cool man, and. Before we get to an outro, I did actually want to come back to talk a little bit about Facebook groups and building a community because, um, you know, it's not a small feat to build a a 6,000 person Facebook group or to manage a 25,000 person Facebook group, something that I'm uh, considering doing in 2022, starting to build up that avenue. Uh, What have been sort of your like growth hacks or what have you learned along the path of uh, building a Facebook group and also maintaining a Facebook group? Well, I think once you get it started, then it'll take over itself. Um, so you're right, man. It's, you know, starting it and getting those first few initial people. I mean, you just got to do it in steps, you know, just set yourself some goals, man. Hey, I'm going to push it out to this many people. I'm going to offer this much content. And my goal is to get to 1000 people by this date. And then, you know, once you get to that 1000 people, then, you, you know, solicit the group for help. Hey, guys, you know, listen, you know, make sure you share the group with some of your friends and family and all of that stuff like that, you know, because we're going to have some exciting news about travel and all of that. And people will do that. You know, they'll start adding their friends and their family members to it and all of that stuff like that. And that's how you help grow it. You know, you got to, like I said, put the work in yourself up front. But after that, you know, it'll it'll take legs of its own. Yeah, I think if you hit like a, a certain critical mass and at a certain point in the snowball, uh, yeah. then it will sort of take over and grow itself. I think the hardest part, just like anything, is getting started, getting the first 50, 100, 500 users, and getting them actually engaged. I feel like some people even maybe create like several Facebook accounts and almost create like fake engagement and then like respond to their own like stuff. Yeah. Just so it looks like there's like, just so it looks like there's movement and right. activity in the group or, like how how was it in the early days for you? Uh, I mean, the early days it was just it was a long process. There were times where I was like, you know what, I'm not doing this. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just tired of people. But then I just I just hung in there, man, because like like I said, that that my love of travel outweighed my um, level of frustration with people not being engaged. So and I just kept persevering, man. Like I said, my love of travel. So I do everything in a group. We don't just talk about my groups in terms of our group trips and all that. We talk about travel news. For example, I just saw in the news today where Spirit Airlines is introducing facial recognition at the Atlanta airport. So I mm-hmm. found the link, found the article for that, posted it, and then we'll talk about that. You know what I mean? Um, so mm-hmm. it's, it's just all things travel related, man. So it's not about just group trips and all that. It's information as well, too. So, you know. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Kind of keep topical with whatever's going on. Yeah. Yep. And then one of the other things that I found out that helps, man, is the scheduling. Meaning, you know, how you can schedule posts. Yep. So a lot of times what I'll do in the early days, what I would do, Vance, is I would get, let's say, like five or six link articles to whatever. Uh, you know, Boeing is coming out with a new jet or Delta is shutting down this airport, whatever the link is. Right. 
And then I would schedule, I would, I would be like on the weekends and I would schedule them throughout the week. So I would schedule one link to drop Monday. I would schedule another link to drop Tuesday, schedule another link to drop Thursday. And that mm-hmm. way I could schedule them and then forget about them, you know, and then they would just drop, you know, and you can schedule them at any time to drop, you know. And so that helped early on a lot, you know, you utilizing the schedule button to schedule, you know, your links to drop at certain times, you know, so. Mm-hmm. And in terms of like discovery, like, you know, after you've invited all of your, you know, friends in your personal network <laughs> and you yeah. sort of maxed that out, I mean, obviously there's some SEO element where people just sort of search in the search bar for Facebook groups, but like how else can, are there like growth hacks or um, do you like share the group in like Reddit or different forums or different places or how, like how can you get the group in front of people so that they join and how to, and how do you like grow it? Yeah, good question. So I, I haven't put it in Reddit or anything like that. One of the things that I do is I just keep, you know, one of my friends years ago, uh, I, she was helping me write something and, and I was writing it and she said, stick the travel junkie right here. I said, okay. And then in the next sentence, she says, stick the travel junkie right here too. stick it right here to stick it right here to she said, you want to shove it down people's throat, you know, because that's branding. And I was like, you know what? You're right. She said, I know I'm right. So she said, every time you're speaking, say the travel junkie, say the travel junkie, say the travel junkie. And if you keep saying that after a while, people will just come up to you, travel junkie, travel junkie, you know, and then they'll start looking for it themselves. And next thing you know, you've created this whole travel junkie and everybody's looking for it on their own, you know, and, and I think that works, you know, so a lot of times when I'm writing stuff or I'm writing proposals to hotels or, or suppliers and stuff, I stick the travel junkie in that big and bold about five or six times, you know what I mean? Just shove it down the throat. <laughs> That's awesome. Has the leverage of the Facebook group, because I think that is kind of like your biggest audience, right? Has the yeah. leverage of the Facebook group allowed you to get like free hotels or leverage oh, you into other opportunities? Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're, so I have a standard template letter that like, let's, let's say if I'm doing a group trip and I want to go to uh, uh, Johannesburg, I'll look up a list of hotels and then I'll, fi- I'll take, let's say like three hotels and I got this standard template letter and I'll fire off that letter. And the letter basically says, hey, who I am, the travel, the travel junkie, I'm a blogger. I'm a moderator in a group that has 25,000 people, another group that has 6,000 people. You know, I've done trips here. I've done trips there. We've sold out hotels. And when they, some, a lot of times when people see that letter, they'll come back and say, oh, okay, yeah. So let's, let's say if they had a, hotel, a room and it was $1,000 a night, they may give it to me for six fifty. You know, so, yeah, so it, it helps. And I've definitely leveraged it. I believe it. Um, I saw you had a tweet recently. That's also the name of the podcast. And you said something like layovers build character or I forget how it's phrased. What's, what's that all about? So every year, uh, minus the pandemic years, every year, my business partner and I, we host a travel junkies, black Friday flight deals. Cause as you know, in the States, Thanksgiving is pretty big right after mm-hmm. Thanksgiving is black Friday where everybody does their shopping and all of that. Right. So we realized years ago that it's not only just, hey, I want to go get a TV or, hey, I want to get a new microwave and all of that. Airlines and hotels, they have deals on Black Friday as well. So the very first call years ago, we were hosting and we had the Black, you know, the the Travel Junkies presents the Black Friday flight deals call. And how it works is we, we put up a bridge like this 
and then we log into the call and there'll be people from all over the globe. And so we'll open the bridge, let's say like at 9 p.m. Eastern time, just for everybody to get situated. And then about 10 p.m. Eastern time, all the way to like four in the morning, we're just on there catching deals, you know, and like somebody will jump on and say, hey, I'm trying to go X, Y, Z. And then we'll have myself and then we got another guy that sits in Amsterdam and then we'll all jump on and just start scouring the net and finding deals. Right. And then once we find the deals, the people will just shoot us their credit card info and bam, we'll book it for them or we'll give them the link and they'll go book it themselves. So how Leo's Bill character came about, we had a young lady. Her name is Ty. Ty Travels, T-A-I Travels. And she has a blog, the whole thing. And so she was on the call and she was in New York at the time. And so we were looking to go somewhere. I think it was like Australia or something. And she was uh, on the call and we were talking about, oh, yeah, we can find a flight. We found one. It has like two layovers here, this, that. And she said, I don't want to do a layover. I mean, what's, what's the point of doing a layover? And when she said, what's the point of doing a layover? I just immediately blurted out, layovers build character. And then my business partner was like, we need to put that on a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then we just have been rocking that ever since. So that's one of our things. Leo was build character, you know, so. I like it. I like it. So the podcast is the layover podcast. Uh, I noticed a new episode hasn't come out in a while. Are you going to keep going with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's one of the other things. Like I said, you know, I got the company working on my website and I'm actually doing taping now with some people. You know, and I have like three in the can right now. So once I get my website, I'm going to drop these three. And then I got some people that I'm scheduled to interview like in the coming weeks as well, too. So, yeah, season two of the Layover podcast is definitely coming. And you can catch it on like Spotify as well as any other podcasts like Google Podcasts, all of that stuff like that. So definitely be on the lookout for that. Dope, dope. Well, I'm down if you ever want to have me on. Yeah, absolutely, man. I got to return the favor. I got to get you on, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sounds good. Sounds good. So, yeah, man, we're just wrapping up. Obviously, Craig, super appreciate your time, especially on a day where you're just coming in from a flight. Um, what, uh, yeah, anything you want to promote, plug, this is uh, the time. Hey, man, listen, I want to promote and plug traveling. Everybody should travel. If you haven't started traveling, you should start traveling. If you are traveling, Go back and grab somebody that's not traveling and put them on. Because like I said, the world is a beautiful place. You learn so much when you get out of your comfort zone, whether you live in the States, whether you live in Europe or any of the Americas. You learn so much when you go see it yourself and go see how other people live around the world. It's probably one of the greatest educational lessons that you could ever have better than any book, better than any classroom, better than even word of mouth of somebody telling you, go see it for yourself. And, and if you want to get plugged in and go see it, come and talk to me. That's what I do, The Travel Junkie. And you can catch me at my website, thetraveljunkie.com, T-H-E-T-R-A-V-E-L-J-U-N-K-E-E.com. And like I said, you can catch us on Facebook. Uh, IG is the same thing, and Twitter is the same thing as well, too. Awesome. And we're going to link all that in the show notes to this. Yeah. Uh, so people definitely are going to have to go check it out, man. The vibe is contagious. You definitely have like an infectious energy and you make me want to travel and I'm already traveling. <laughs> right, man. That's, that's the point. You got to get out there and get it, man. Yeah, for sure. And dude, I can tell you're really like a, a salt of the earth guy, like a genuine guy. So I uh, just want to thank you again. This has been a, a really good conversation. Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on, man. And like I said, we'll be in touch. Like I said, we're on Twitter and then like I said, I got you now. So we'll definitely be in touch. Yeah, man. Looking forward to collaborating in the future. Yep, absolutely.